Hello and welcome to Open Door Films, a podcast sponsored by the lightning storm currently going on outside of my apartment. Joking aside though, I did want to talk about my interview today with Jerome Pipquan. He's a South African, oh, sorry, tongue twist there. Jerome is a South African filmmaker. He's actually had his feature length, The Tuta Lodge, or The Tuka Lodge as he pronounced it, released on Amazon Prime. It depends on what region you're in, but hey, I'm sure plenty of the VPN options we have now now have access to will make it easy to watch, so it depends really on the region you're in and whether you can access the movie or not. He didn't tell me all the details of the film, but he did tell me that it was heavily inspired by South African mythology, which I found fascinating, as well as the multitude of topics we discussed in our conversation, because we didn't just talk about movies, cinema, our favorite filmmakers, or some of the the craziest films we've been we've experienced over time but we even talked about how the culture of cinema is currently in a state of sanitization or just it's in sanitized state where you don't see the kind of risks that were taken in prior decades and even and even when risks are taken they're taken in a very trojan horse like way like films like joker and the batman in addition to that we talked about politics energy policy in multiple countries geopolitical conflicts and strangely enough, I actually try to orange pill Jerome. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with that phrase, now for the Bitcoiners who are, I'm sure that's a good thing. For those unfamiliar with Bitcoin, I've mentioned in prior in prior episode intros what Bitcoin is. I've included links, which I hope you all check out. I also check out. I hope you you take a look at the spot people sponsoring my podcast, such as Anchor, which is a podcasting app that allows you to create a podcast with zero to no effort and allows you to distribute it against multiple platforms and one of those platforms is fountain which is a podcasting app where in addition to actually supporting your favorite creators via bitcoin depending whether it's through a comment a tweet a boost they recently added their newest feature which is a feature that allows you to actually earn bitcoin while you're listening to the podcast it's no joke you can actually, I'm basically telling you that just by listening to either this podcast or some of your favorite podcasts on the Fountain app, you can basically earn Bitcoin. And I figured to myself, what's wrong with that? I mean, why not listen to it? Why not check it out? I mean, should, I mean, fuck. If you, if you support your favorite creators, shouldn't you be rewarded for it? I think that's a pretty good deal. It's a win-win. In many ways, you're helping bo- you're helping boost awareness of your favorite creator's pod- podcast even more. In addition to that, you're earning Bitcoin as you listen to them while even getting plenty of the things you do while you listen to your podcast. For me, I'm not the kind of guy who listens to a just sits down and listens to a podcast. I'm just like doing multiple things, whether it's writing, working on my computer, because I'm able to multitask. And then, no, many people are not like that. But you're always got house enough household chores around the house that you can still listen to your podcast as opposed to just music. I mean, for me, it's about it's just about satisfying my need for intellectual stimulation, which is something Jerome did in many ways. Because I love the idea that in addition to talking about movies, we were able to talk about a load of things that, although it didn't give us all the answers to the questions we have, it all always gives us a new avenue to learn. And that's what I hope to do with this podcast. Because I'm not claiming to be up uh, the perfect podcaster. I'm not trying to be perfect. Hell. Over the course of the podcast episode, there were some moments where the audio was a little screwed up, but I'm not going to edit that. I mean, I'm not going to edit that section because I don't like perfection. I agree with Arthur Schopenhauer, who is my second favorite philosopher next to Nietzsche. 
about how disgusting perfection is. And I always, and I look at perfection as a form of self-hatred, and I don't want to promote that for this podcast. Anyway, check out my podcast. Check out the crypto links I left, I mean, the Bitcoin links I left down below. Try and get orange-pilled. And in addition to that, check out the sponsors I mentioned, whether it's anchor.fm, where you can easily create your own podcast with, again, zero to no effort. And it'll distribute it. And once you upload your episode, it'll distribute it on on all the other platforms. I'm talking Apple, Spotify, CurioCaster, Breeze, Lisbon, and obviously the sponsor of this podcast, Fountain. Anyway, enjoy the show, folks. How's that? Oh, I can hear you perfectly. How are you? Good, good. Well, first, before we start, I want to thank you for giving me the time out of your day, and you don't have to feel pressured of how long this will last. This goes for as long as you want to go, and just uh, just talk. I mean, we just talk about whatever you want regarding your your work in film, any projects that you're working on, your how you started. Because I looked at your, I looked at your profile, and I was rather impressed. And I just want just just tell us about who you are and what you're hoping to do in film. Okay, well, thank you um should i just go for it yeah it's just go for it there's no script to this this is just the purpose of this podcast to me is just to promote intellectual discourse around cinema just okay i mean i guess you could say what i like about podcasting is that you don't have to feel pressured about reading a script you can just talk about it and if other things emerge from this conversation that's good i mean i had a near three hour conversation with a guest on all sorts of things besides movies and I just want, I mean, I guess if movies can be a start, just tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, Where should I start? Um, I, th- I think maybe I should start by saying I got into the business and maybe why. Um, yeah, I've, I think I've always just been a cinephile, you know. Um, I'm a millennial, so what's that, 80s kid? I was born in the 80s, so I came of... Uh, age in the 90s and uh i was always drawn to the older stuff you know the the movie brats um when i did my feature i was actually inspired by a lot of the palmer and um Ooh. i don't know if i'm supposed to um I'm not, i don't know if i'm supposed to say um polanski stuff as well Which, um, who? um you said uh, De Palma, but who was that second one? I couldn't, I didn't catch it there. Um, so, so the second one was Polanski. Oh, Polanski. Yeah, he's European stuff. Oh, don't feel ashamed because you know what? I know that I know regarding the bullshit of whatever happened with what with what happened yeah. with. But here's the thing: I've always felt about art. I think the art can be separate from the artist because the ideas are beyond what the individual thinks. Because I mean. Look at Woody Allen's movies. I'm not saying Woody Allen is guilty because that's still unverified. But even if he was a pedophile, it doesn't change the fact that the ideas that his movies, the philosophical existential concepts they tackled are not true or not relevant to our own examination of the human condition. No. So, I mean, you shouldn't feel bad about liking Polanski's work. I think Chinatown is his absolute masterpiece. Yeah. No, I mean, look, he's... It, it's it's strange because you you discover the artist's work and then you kind of discover what 
came, you know, all the stuff around the guy. But um, yeah, definitely his earlier stuff. Um, uh, I'm trying to, uh, Repulsion, that's it. Repulsion was definitely a strong influence on the Tokolosh. Um, you know, uh, just because of what we wanted to say in terms of the character's inner workings, you know. Uh, I think you can either, what did John Carpenter say? You can either, you have the horror from the outside and you have the horror from the inner horror. So you have the the the, the outside world that's scary and you have the the, the inner demons that, that, that are as scary, if not scarier. So that's kind of our angle in terms of the Tokolosh. But um, yeah, I was, I went a bit off course. Yeah, so um, my background is pretty much um, promos com uh, director. So I started off as a commercials director. Uh, from that, I then did TV shows and then did my feature. That's kind of my progression. What type, what sorts of TV shows did you work on? I did, well, most recently I did, uh, when I say recent, I'm talking about two years ago, I went back to promos. Um, but um, most recently I did a TV series about uh, cults. It was like a big cult um, problem in South Africa. So I did a show about cults and um, yeah, it just, it was an eye opener, the stuff people believe. So that was, that was interesting. It was a bit, um, yeah, it was, it was a heavy show. It was a heavy show. It took, it took its toll. I find that, um, you know, with some of the stuff I do in terms of long form, unknowingly, it, it can, it can be quite taxing. It's like the film, the film was quite taxing as well. So it, I think it's quite cool to kind of go into promos just to have that, I don't know, there's a, there's a, you can kind of exhale a bit, I think with promos. But do you feel that the films and the TV show work will be more, is more, more challenging? No, definitely more challenging. And I think it, it's, you know, the, the type of things that interest me, uh, tax me um, psychologically and emotionally, you know. Um, when you say they tax you psychologically and emotionally, do they help, do they shift your beliefs in some sense? Because you mentioned that the shows you worked on, the show you worked on recently, ooh had a lot of cult material and since yeah. cults usually revolve around religious belief i'm just curious if that actually actually affects you in some way it does but i mean i, I think you know because i am a, I, I do believe that you know the, the certain things affect you um whether it's psychologically or spiritually um so i'm, I'm careful about how far i can push it that's it for me, like the scariest film ever is, is The Exorcist. Really? It's just, yeah, it, I mean, I think because I grew up with uh, religious beliefs and I think when, when that's, you know, when you, when you grew up with that, it, it uh, you know, that, that film really, and I also, I think I was too young to watch it as, or, you know, that was also the other thing. So it, I haven't seen it in a couple of years. So I don't know how scary it is now, but the last time I saw it was pretty it was pretty crazy strangely enough I look at that that film and I don't see it as terrible well, I think the atmosphere is incredibly terrifying yeah. and the way it's presented is well done I mean I, yeah. I but I think it's a shame that a lot of people don't know about the other films of Willie William Friedkin because if you actually watch some of his other material 
Oh, yeah, no. So yeah. yeah, no, it's. I mean, his 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 early stuff was unbelievable. The French Connection, and I mean that stuff. So have you yeah. seen to live and die in L.A.? Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen. That. I think that is probably one of the best cop movies of all time because, yeah. and I'm not saying. I mean, yeah, The Exorcist is more direct horror, but I think all his other films ask much more horrifying questions or present more yeah. horrifying situations. I mean. To live and die in LA, you think you're getting the typical revenge, no, a vengeance cop film where a cop is avenging his ex-partner, but then you realize he's not doing it for that. He's doing that because he likes the frill of hunting criminals. And there's something terrifying that somebody like that could be a cop. Yeah. I mean, I always think of, uh, of that film almost as a precursor to Heat and kind of the Michael Mann sort of stuff. Hmm. You know that it's like you say it's there's this thin line between the the, the criminal and, and 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 the law yeah you know and, and i think that's that's definitely interesting for me um you know this idea of there is no hero in a film you know those sort of films intrigue me where you kind of really have anti-heroes freaking you know, agree with that notion because he once said Friedkin actually agrees with that notion he said once he doesn't believe in heroes and you look at all his movies I mean look at the French Connection the character that Gene Hackman plays he's not he's he's racist but he's not your typical racist he's more bigot like he'd probably work with someone of color but he wouldn't stomach them I mean it's you know it's interesting you you bring that up I you know I always think about American cinema um, you know my you know, American cinema in, in the golden era for me is definitely like the 60s, like late 60s, 70s. Mm. You know, when you had um, Bonnie and Clyde and all that sort of films, you know, where you just had these lunatics taking over the asylum. And I always wondered, you know, do, are you ever going to get those sort of films that are true, you know, in the sense that, I mean, I think we should. How does one put this? I, you know, I think there's certain things you have to move on from in cinema. And I, and I say that as a person of color, but I do think that characters have to be true to who they are because that makes them human and that makes them interesting. Whereas I think now we're going through this era where it's, it's so... Politicized and... Sanitized. It's, 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 it's so sanitized, you know, it's... You know, because when you look at at, at, at what came out in the 70s and, 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 and late 60s, there was, it came out of turmoil. You know, there was so much chaos. Whereas right now, I think like what's happening is with a lot of the mainstream American cinemas, it's like almost like it's oh. self-censoring. Yeah, and, and they're kind of self-censoring themselves. I think the industry is kind of self-censoring themselves. Would you give me any examples of films you think speak on this notion the most? Because, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it's become sad, yeah. but I like specific examples because I think that expands the conversation because, because I don't even think it's just in cinema that this is happening. I think it's happening throughout all culture in some sense. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 think, I, think most, I think it's happening a lot more in the U.S., just, just because you know the U.S. has kind of become two countries in one. Oh yeah, that there's just like from an outsider's perspective, it's it's just so you know, especially with everything that happened over this weekend. What you know, happened just, over this weekend? Because I mean, well, you know, with the, with the with, 
with the Supreme Court um, decision. Um, oh, Roe v. Wade. Yeah. I knew about that, but I, I asked because there's in the, when it comes to America and controversy, there's always something happening. And yeah. you're going to, I mean, when I get that, you just need specifics. But yeah, I know what you're saying. It's yeah. gotten to a point where everything is borders on the extreme or everybody's just caught up in something. And when it comes to cinema, there is something sanitizing about it because when you meant you, it's interesting you mentioned the 60s and the 70s. I mean, Bonnie and Clyde in many ways is a very daring film because it not only glorifies the criminals, but it also speaks about why they were doing what they were doing. I mean, I mean, look at what, what, what era that film was portraying. It was portraying the, the early 30s, just after the Great Depression. And we all know how corrupt central banks are. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, but it, yeah sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's it's and also what I think what's appealing that film is is uh, you know just that that sort of anti-establishment uh, feel and I think you 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 know there's this there was this sort of restlessness when that film came out especially amongst the youth and then, and I think you you kind of have that restlessness right now you know this, I think there's a great time right now to make good art you know daring films um, that are reflective of the, the, the time we live in. You know, there's that great line in The Third Man, and I'm, I'm gonna mess this line up, but you know, where Austin Wells goes, um, you know, uh, in, in Sweden, they had, um, or is it Switzerland, with that, you know, hundreds of years of brotherly love, and they produced the cuckoo clock. And in, in, in Italy, they had, uh, you know, revolution and bloodshed, and they produce the Renaissance and, and the great artists. So I think, you know, in this time of chaos, there's definitely, uh, for artists, there's, there's, there's an opportunity to make something interesting. I, I, I do think, you know, uh, there isn't much going on right now in mainstream, I find. I think I agree with you that there's definitely room for great storytelling, but it depends. I, I think it really depends on how self-aware the people behind the storytelling are, because one of the things I worry about this era, because you said that the, in that era of Bonnie and Clyde from the 60s and 70s, there was like an anti-establishment perspective. But I often worry sometimes that even now when there's like some anti-establishment approach, that there's yeah. something less authentic about it, that it's more of virtue signaling. Like, oh yeah, no, no definitely, definitely. And and that robs, yeah, I feel that robs it of the authenticity, that it's more about you feeling better about yourself. Like, and even with companies and how they adopt the slogans of marginalized groups. I mean, yeah. I mean, what, however you feel about Black Lives Matter, you know that Nike really doesn't care about them. Amazon doesn't care yeah. about them. I'm, I keep out of these things, but I also look at the way the culture responds. And obviously there's more in, in authenticity than authenticity. It's almost like you have to choose a side rather than be an individual. And that's something I worry about. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the political um, structure right now, isn't it? It's, it's almost like these two football teams, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's like you're saying you, you don't, you're not allowed to step back and, and look at things um, from the in, in, from the individual's perspective, but rather as 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 a group, as oh, a collective. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know what happens in, in, in groups and collectives? Things don't usually pan out well. I mean, for me, I don't really care where you lean politically as long as it doesn't harm anybody or harm my views. I mean, I used to think of myself as leaning towards socialism. And even though I sympathize with, with people who are socialist, I don't agree with it anymore. But what I really don't like is this idea of the collective mindset where if you're not with us, you're against us. Or if you're not yeah. part of the, the solution, you're a problem. I mean, I just consider I mean, the best label I could say is I border on anarchic independence. Like I just, I mean, I like when people mention a book like The Sovereign Individual, because I do like the idea of the individual much more, because I think it is important. If you become part of a collective, even with the good intentions of a collective, you get the worst nightmare that George Orwell imagined. If you've read 1984, seen the, have you seen the yeah. film? No, I haven't seen the film, but I read the book in high school. Well, if you were horrified by the book, picture the movie. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's terrifying. I mean, that is terrifying. And yeah. it has a really great cast. I mean, Richard, I mean, Richard Burton, John Hurt. And all I can tell you is that movie leaves you with terrifying questions about how far it would it take to break you as an individual. Yeah. Look, um, my best knowledge of of anything visual to do with 1984 is the. Hi, uh, you're breaking up there. Hey, you're breaking you're breaking up there. You good? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Let me just. I mean, you're kind of frozen, but your voice, I can hear you. Let's just keep talking to see if this works. How about now? I can hear you. Do you see me? Oh, perfectly. Don't worry. You're you're moving again, so you're not frozen in space. Cool. Yeah. So, like I was saying, um, my uh, best reference of 1984 as well as the Apple commercial, the, the the Ridley Scott one. I don't know if you see if you remember that one. It's still a mystery to me as to what Apple was thinking of somehow that being a good marketing campaign because. It looks rather ominous, no matter how you, I mean, how you try yeah. to sell Apple computer with that. Yeah. I mean, have you, I mean, I, I, my best memory of it was from watching the Steve Jobs movie with Michael Fassbender. And even he's just like, why I, have skinheads in this, in this commercial? I mean, that's yeah. not, and now Apple, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how much Apple regrets that now. I mean, hey, you're the, one of the biggest companies, but I mean, starting out with a commercial about about fat that that has fascism and it isn't exactly yeah. lightning i think the, the 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 fascism aspect was them commenting on how um microsoft was taking over the market and they, they were sort of dominating the market at that point and then you had this woman who was representing you know apple running into the room and tossing them and then shattering the screen i think that was kind of the uh, metaphor yeah well yeah when you see 1984 it's 100 times more horrifying especially when it delves into the psychological aspects of the main character william no winston i almost call him william but no i can but then there's john hurt william hurt there's so many hurts in hollywood that uh, that i get confused but uh yeah tell me more about your feature also um the feature oh the feature so like i was saying um it's 
was based on no not based but it's it's comes from the whole idea of the tokolosh mythology which is quite a um, a well-known mythology in south africa you know the stealer of children and what we wanted to do is take that mythology and expand it and, and you know bring in all sorts of other social issues and i don't know if you, i don't know how familiar you are with the story uh, no, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. Tell me about it, because the idea of a stealer of children, that sounds like, yeah. the, like the, the framework for an old myth of some, it is, it is. Of some demonic, I mean, I'm guessing this, this Takalaj is some demonic entity. Yeah, it's, so it's a demonic entity, and what, it usually, what usually happens is it comes to you at night, mm-hmm. uh, and it steals children. But the, the myth varies depending on the region in South Africa. And so the idea was, how do we take this mythology, this children's mythology, and make it relevant um, you know, to a modern society and bring in a lot of those issues, social issues into the mythology? And that's where you have the central character who finds herself bussy, uh, working as a cleaner in a hospital so that she can bring her sister from uh, the rural heartlands of South Africa to the big city, uh, Johannesburg. And Bussy works in this children's hospital and she experiences all sorts of strange happenings. And she ends up encountering this child, um, Grace, who has these telltale marking uh, scars, um, which suggest abuse. And she befriends this kid and this kid tells her, you know, this thing is, is, is doing these things to her, is hurting her. And that's kind of where, 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 this, where the story kicks off. Did you, did you focus on one particular variation of this mythology or did the multitude of variations? Because what is the, what, uh, you said that they vary from region to region in South yeah. Africa, but did, what, what is it that distinguishes them exactly? How do they differ if they're all focused on a demonic entity that abducts children? So, I mean, it's, it's small things. It's, you know, the, the one is like some people, do, you actually believe this, would sleep um, with, uh, would put bricks under their beds. So they'd put the, the, the bed on the bricks. Yeah, so for some, somehow the, the bricks stop the creature from getting into your bed. Mm, so they just every different region approaches it differently, but it's still yeah. it's, but it's still very basic. It's an abductor yeah. of children. Exactly. Um, but also, you know, with, with the mythology, there is a a, a, a sexual aspect to it, a, a, a I could almost say perverse aspect. Um, you know, the the this thing not only steals children but hurts them in in, in other ways. Mm. Yeah. Do you, have you tried, I mean, do you think uh, that the current culture of cinema would be, would be welcoming to that type of film? Because you mentioned earlier that mainstream cinema has become so sanitized that do you worry that either would they would try and sensationalize some a project like that or, or just... No, so, or, I mean, no, we, the, the, well, the project came out, um, it was two years ago. Um, so it's on Amazon Prime already in the U.S. No, it is. Uh, yeah, and um, 
it, we we had a we had quite a good reception. Uh, it, it was very fortuitous that it came out at the same time as the whole Me Too movement, which wasn't planned. We didn't plan that at all. We just wanted to take you know the horror tropes and you know someone that's quite marginalized, someone you think would not survive. Oh, SK- would you send the link to me after this? Because I'm I'm now I'm just curious because if it's on Prime, I'm eager to to find check it yeah. out. Um, I, 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 for some reason, so it's, we don't, we have a different zone, so we don't, so it's not an Amazon Prime in South Africa, but it's on Amazon, it's on a different network in South Africa. That's true. I know in, in the U.S., because uh, people in the U.S. have sent me, you know, screenshots of that it's on Amazon Prime, but I can't access it. That must, that must be sad. I mean, it's your own film. No, no, no. So I can access it on, on the networks here in South Africa, but I can't access it um, your network. Mm, I see. So, so Netflix South Africa has a different catalog log to Netflix US. Well, there are VPNs for that, so I'm sure I can sort that out. Yeah. Aside from that, are there any other filmmakers that have influenced your work, aside from Polanski and obviously... Uh, what what you mentioned earlier, oh God, the Palma. Yeah. What of I did want to know about that. What of his which of his films influenced you the most? Because I um, I'd say my favorite De Palma film would probably be Blowout. Oh, same here. Yeah, I just think it's it, it's just it's such an underrated film because you know you have this guy this protagonist who's just i mean i don't want to spoil the film but i've already seen it so yeah but it's it you know you just have this helpless dude you know who's which you don't usually see you know as a protagonist He's, and, I, and i think that's kind of that that 70s vibe where you, you know you, you don't necessarily have a clear the guy. Idea. yeah it's not someone who's going to save the day and by the end of the film, you know, you're going to walk out of there and you're going to be reassured that life's going to be okay. For some reason, films in the 70s just didn't do that. Hell, you even know, the they, scenario he's in is so massive that you don't even know the entire scope of it because it's like a massive yeah. conspiracy, but they don't tell, it doesn't tell you every aspect of it. But that was during the height of the 70s, Nixon, all the mm-hmm. paranoia around JFK's yeah. assassination. And how people were st- were building more and more distrust towards their government. There's actually a film similar to that by uh, Alan J. Pakula, uh, "The Parallax View." Have you seen oh, that? Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I've seen that. With that, um, Warren Beatty. No, Warren Beatty. Beatty, Beatty. Sorry, I, I was thinking about um, uh, um, uh, Redmond was in all the presidents' men. Yeah, he directed that too, but. Yeah. It's that lack of certainty of the environment and just the situation, because you only know in the parallax view that it's a corporation in bed with the government training assassins and committing assassinations of figures, but you don't even know the politics of the figures they're going after. You don't even you don't even know entirely how they they work. I mean, one of the most ambiguous, but one of the greatest scenes in that film is that scene where Warren Beatty goes into that processing room and sees that montage of how they brainwash these antisocial assassins. And yet you still don't get the gist of how the, of every aspect of that corporation. You just know that 
this is too big for this type of protagonist. And I like that because it makes the environment of that film much more horrifying. Yeah, because because the because the politics sometimes is just a, a smokescreen for you know what's actually going on. I think that's smokescreen for what it's like here in the U.S. now. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's like you say, it's it's, but that's kind of you know was reflective of what was going on in their society at the time, and that's what made it interesting. You know, they they didn't, and escapism is great, but that is a type of escapism. You know, because that allows you to, to process your reality through art, you know, for those two hours. And, you know, I hope we see those, those type of films come back, you know. I mean, I was, I was very um, hopeful early on in, I think it was like, you know, around about 2018, 7, 2017, you know, when you had that whiplash and you had um, Get Out. I think those were interesting films that were coming out. But then it's just, I don't know, something, the machine took over again. Well, I mean, we're current, we live in an era where just massive monopolies just take over these projects. And okay. yeah, Amazon Prime, say what you will about Amazon, but they do give you a lot of films. They do have no. a lot of films on their roster that you wouldn't normally see. I recently saw a film that, I'm not saying it's a paranoid thriller like Parallax View or, uh, or Blowout like you enjoyed, but it definitely reflects that era of complete cycle disillusioned governmental and institutional forces revolutionary with no the revolutionary with uh, john voight yeah it's just about this this activist who slowly becomes more disillusioned with the climate that he just turns to violence he doesn't tell you what city this is taking place in what specific year or what political figures are involved it just tells you it just shows you that this guy is trying to walk the straight and narrow of his activism, but it just, the world just keeps taking a shit on him. And it's very, the film is very dense, abstract, much kind of like that movie us by uh, Jordan. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I guess my take on what, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. No, sorry. I was just going to say the, the film sounds like it's got that taxi driver, taxi driver vibe. Certainly around that, it's certainly in that sense, but it doesn't have the voice over narration because that's yeah. more about mental illness. Yeah, but but it you know, but I think it it that's kind of that paranoia. You know, it, there's a lot of those films that you talk about that sort of you know the, the individual that's disillusioned with society and 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 authority, and you know, I think the film you spoke about sounds like. It, it speaks to that. And I think Taxi Driver spoke to that, you know, the sort of uh, alienated individual who's, who's paranoid and his, and his mental health starts breaking down. Yeah, and I think the, film, the, the closest film to, for us to get that represented that was the film Joker. I mean, remember the, because yeah. you mentioned earlier that mainstream cinema has become so sanitized. Yeah that I don't think a film like Taxi Driver or Parallax View or even Blowout would not be made without some controversy being sparked. Yeah. And if you remember Joker, I mean, remember all the controversy being surrounding that film just because they made the assumption that because it was giving an empathetic approach to a character that the, la the last few incarnations we've known to be some demented psychopath, yeah. that somehow it would promote violence or a school shooting. because. 
Yeah. Uh, the last good interpretation of the Joker prior to Joaquin Phoenix's was a very intelligent Joker who challenged institutional power. I mean, remember how horrified you were back in 2008 when Heath Ledger yeah. lit up that screen? And then Joaquin Phoenix takes on a similar approach, but it's from the perspective of the Joker. And uh, I think the only reason, I mean, the only reason films is intelligent is that that pay their act as love letters to old classic cinema are made is because they're comic book films. Yeah. Because it was kind of the Trojan horses. Yeah. Because even the Batman, the new one, that's basically a love letter to David Fincher seven. Yeah. But yet, and yet it, and they were made by big studios. They aren't made by more independent oriented ones like a 24. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think what is interesting about the Joker, what was terrifying about the Joker is the fact that there wasn't a Batman. And I think that's what, for me, you know, what was scary. You know, the fact that you had this, this big mainstream film and there was no hero, there was no one coming to save the day. And this guy was going nuts. You know, this guy was just proper cracking up and he was just slowly losing it and, you know, watching that i think that was uh, to say interesting as you know the best word i can use right now but it it it, it was it was it was it was different you know i think that it, it was as close as i had to you know watching something like taxi driver obviously or even cycle you know when it, when a when a film just affects you you know when you walk out of film and you just I like films that that that, that scar you. Oh yeah, sense. you know, like you said, Seven. Seven's definitely something a film that scars you. Whereas I think with the Batman, they couldn't really do that. You know, they could, they, they tried, but you can't really go there with 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 with, with a film like like the Batman. You know? Yeah, but it was, yeah. Good, it was a good film. Don't get me oh, wrong, yeah. but but they you can't go the risks. They took major risks with that because when you look at the influence for that version of Batman, it's yeah. not just David Fincher seven, which is a very, and Zodiac because those two films they're I mean, yeah, there's heroes, but there's yeah. also a deep, a darker secret at the, at the, at the end of those films that says something yeah. about the world. I mean, take for instance, seven, I mean, the villain of the film is not wrong. He is right about the state of the human race or at yeah. least, you understand where he's coming from. And with a film like Zodiac, I mean, the, even the, the most polished character in that movie is not going after him out of a sense of justice. He's just doing it out of a sense of fascination. And that's something very, that works as a, a good commentary on our society, that how what draws us to murderers and psychopaths rather than stopping them. And I guess a be the best example of that in the middle of the film is when they have the movie Dirty Harry playing because that film, yeah. and any idiot could accuse that film of being like this pro-cop propaganda, but it's really just a reflection of the society because the character yeah. Dirty Harry is facing a villain similar to the Zodiac, yeah. who is even named after a Zodiac, Scorpio. Yeah. But uh, that, film, that film actually came out to cash in on, 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 on the Zodiac sensation at the time. Yeah, but what does that tell you? Make it seem like in the film. What does that tell you about our society? It's going to 
it's pretty much going to capitalize on the work on on just whatever's going on, whether it has a positive effect or a negative effect. And with the Batman, I mentioned that film did take risks because uh, Matt Reeves said that the, that inspiration for Batman was based off the musician Kurt Cobain. If you've read anything about Kurt Cobain, yeah. his life did not end well at all. I mean, yeah. they even have Robert Pattinson doing something Kurt Cobain used to do, journaling. And if you look at Kurt, Kurt Cobain's journal, you can buy it on Amazon for $25. And it just details his state of mind. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was definitely a, a very different iteration of Batman. You know, it was, it was, it felt like there wasn't really a Bruce Wayne. There was just a Batman. If that, if that makes sense. Like he'd be, been completely consumed by the demon. Exactly. Just like Kurt Cobain, because I've seen interviews of him and he seems like a very intelligent, self-aware individual, but it seems like his demons just got the better of him. Exactly. And I think that's kind of was what, what the angle they were going with, with, with the Batman. I mean, with that whole, you know, the whole grunge, uh, Robert Pattinson look, you know, it was, it was, de it was definitely Kurt, uh, Kurt Cobain. Yeah, do you, and do you remember when people were giving him shit when he said he wasn't going to bulk up? Yeah, he put on muscle, but he wasn't like bulked, bulked. And you look at that Batman, he just looks, even his physique, he's in good shape, but it's not like yeah. super trim, ripped yeah. like the traditional versions. It's not the bulging muscle like Ben Affleck's. It's not the, the ripped version like Christian Bale. I mean, it's good shape, but he's kind of like in a way where like he looks, he still looks like shit. Cause if you look at his face, it's very gaunt, tired. And now with the sequels, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with that. I mean, if you saw how Gotham ended up in that, it's going to turn into a social Darwinian society. And uh, that can just add even more depression because it doesn't seem like, I mean, I guess, well, I'm going back to what we originally started with with this conversation was that all these old love letters to cinema can only appear either as remakes of old films or, or superhero films. And I don't mean direct remakes. Like uh, Tarantino once used an example of that movie Ad Astra, which is basically Apocalypse Now in space. Yeah. You seen it? Yeah, it's Apocalypse completely that's, that's what i thought as well i thought like this is apocalypse now in this space. is the heart of darkness in space yeah only difference is that brad pitt's character is a better i would say he's a better person than martin sheen's character yeah well mm. that i mean that, that's what i'm saying that, that's the pro i think that's the, the problem with that we face now is that even if you write these love letters to you know these old films you still have to sanitize it because you you you, I mean, you could never go where, where Coppola went in, 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 in Apocalypse. Yeah. With, with today's cinema. I mean, even, even if you took that thing independent to Khan, people would just freak out. I mean, the guy chops a, a, a water buffalo in half and that, that's not CG, you know? I mean, they, that's, a, that's the thing, you know, the seventies, they went there, you know, those guys took it to, to, to a completely organic and real place, whereas I think now you just, you can't, you know, oh. unless you work inside of, of mainstream, you know, you have to kind of do your one to $5 million films. Even Brad Pitt's character, the, 
even in the film, he ends up saving somebody before he completes his journey. And Martin Sheen's character in the middle. Do you remember that scene in Apocalypse Now when they meet those uh, those fishermen, those uh, Vietnamese fishermen, and they suspect yeah. they have something on their boat, but then they find out they were just hiding a dog. Yeah. And after they accidentally shoot most of them, Martin Sheen, the supposed hero, just coldly shoots the last one who happens to be a woman. Yeah. And he's the main character. And obviously Brad Pitt's character be, could be compared to his the journey that character went in Apocalypse Now. But even the most the most heartless thing Brad Pitt's character does in Ad Astra is that he's emotionally distant from his wife. That's it. But he's not a cold. He isn't cold hearted. He's just in a state of suspense of emotional suspension. Yeah. No, I mean, it, look, I. I think if you look at Charlie Sheen in, in, in Apocalypse, that, that character. Martin Sheen. I mean, sorry, Martin Sheen. Um, that's just a tormented character. You know, that, but the guy had, a, you know, had a, did he have two heart attacks while they were making that film? I don't know if he had two. I mean, if, if there's a rumor that he had more than one, I know that on that scene where, uh, I don't know, I don't know if he had a heart attack in that scene where he, you know, when he's, doing his workout and he's naked and drunk he yeah. cut himself you know he actually did cut himself yeah. in that scene oh there was a chance because he was very drunk in that scene because he wanted to get into the vibe that there was a chance he was going to attack coppola and coppola yeah, is no, almost one insane yeah, no, I mean, it, that, um, but, but like I said, that's, you know, I, I don't know if, if, if in today's, and that's a studio film, by the way, that's not, you know, the films we mentioned now aren't independent films, Those like Clute and um, Bonnie and Clyde, I mean, those are, those are mainstream films, you know, those, those are like summer films, but you, you look at those films and like, would mainstream audiences respond to the, the, that type of filmmaking today? Now it's just so politicized that it's just more about just virtue signaling to a degree where it's just weird. And I actually, one of the interviews I had for another person on this podcast, she told me that, that what if the possibility comes that they literally remake Harry Potter and um, you can't remake that experience. You just can't. I mean, what would they do? Well, I, I have to be honest, I was never into, <laughs> into Harry Potter. Oh, no, you don't have to be. But you, yeah. the one thing you can agree on is that that we can agree on is that it was basically like a coming of age story yeah. that happened naturally over a period over a decade long time frame. And you can't replicate that ever again and expect it to have the same effect. Yeah, but I mean, it, look, it's 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 about selling T-shirts. It's about selling lunch boxes. You know, it's. I, I think the, the the storytelling and all that other stuff is secondary right now. You know, that's yeah. why that's why you have all these things. You know, these franchises running out of steam. Yeah, and the strange thing is, these franchises try and replicate, even capture what what other great recent classics did. I mean, uh. Take, for instance, the superhero genre, as we discussed, they try, a lot of superhero films are great, but then there are some that are just desperately trying to be the Dark Knight. And in the Dark Knight, they took some major risks. And I'm not just referring to the fact that somebody died in one of the chase scenes, 
But the fact that you remember that interrogation scene with the Joker and Batman, Christian yeah. Bale actually punched Heath Ledger in those scenes. Heath Ledger asked him to punch him, but they were yeah. taking literally, he literally asked him to take a risk and punch me in the face. I mean, he didn't bash his head against the mirror, that glass, because that's insane. But he did. Well, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, he yeah, Heath Ledger asked him to do it. He was in but, that I mean, too. Yeah, but I mean, you, 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 that's that's Nolan, though. You know, it's it's, it's for some reason you're just gonna get something special all the time. You know, it's 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 Christopher Nolan. It's it's a it's a different type of cinema. Yeah, and plus know? Nolan's timing was good because he came yeah. in at a time where they could at least still take risks. Yeah, I don't think he yeah, would be able. But but he's got like a. Um, you know, I, I think with a guy like that, he's always going to take risks. I think that's, I mean, he's doing the, with that Oppenheimer thing now. Mm. How many how many people can do that? A, you know, a, a $200 million studio film about the the, the atomic bomb. I mean, that's, that's, that's nobody else can do that. That's precisely what I mean. But what I mean, what, I, what I'm getting at is, uh, like, say Nolan came up today. Not, he didn't have the 20-year career that he's had so far since following because back then greater risk could be taken but if he stepped in if he stepped in now as a new filmmaker but with all the talent all the knowledge he has i don't know if he would get the same reception i think it just took a long time that he's allowed to do this because i mean he walked away from warner brothers he literally said fuck you the way you treated these filmmakers was wrong i'm gonna go to paramount and guess what paramount gave him they gave him 200 million dollars and complete creative control. That means they will fuck off like they should when he's telling the story. It should be interesting to see what, what he comes up with. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, because... Be... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I just think it's, 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 um, it's a different type of filmmaking. You know, it's... Uh, I'm curious. I'm curious to see how it also, how people receive it. You know, it's it's just storytelling. There's no superheroes. There's no car chases. So it should be interesting. Even the figure Oppenheimer himself, because remember, he was the not just the he didn't just develop the, the atomic bomb, but the regret he felt at having invented that was remarkable. I mean, you see that interview he makes where he quotes the Bod God. I think it's the Bod God Vita. Yeah. I I have. I'm deaf, the destroyer of two worlds. But at the same time, when he begged the president of the United States not to drop that bomb, they pretty much performed a smear campaign because he had very, I don't, I think he was a communist, but, and how you can, I mean, the, I don't know how an audience will respond to that. Cause I mean, my view on, on those political leanings are that I understand where they're coming from and I see the flaws in those ideologies, but I can understand that some people with those ideologies are good. I mean, people love Nelson Mandela, but how many people know that he was a, that he was a communist? Yeah, that shouldn't change their perceptions. I mean, I'm sure people will love him sooner because the media told, told them to love him. And I think he was an inspiring figure, but what would happen if main, if a mainstream audience learned that he was a communist? They they would probably give a very simplistic judgment of his leanings without knowing that there are a variety of forms of communism, socialism, capitalism, and all other ideologies. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 strange because you know, obviously, we in South Africa we have a much uh, broader church in terms of politics. Every so nation you, does. You know, I mean, in in the sense of so we have you know we have communists in 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 parliament, we have capitalists in parliament, we have you know we have a, a quite a variety of of people that are in our political system um and i and i'm actually very grateful for that for that aspect of of, of our political system because it, it, it i think it it can be very dangerous when you have just, just one one drum beating you no know? that's what we have here it's either democrat or republican any other parties they're silenced yeah but apparently, the, the, the system is designed such in the U.S. that you can't have more than two parties. I mean, you, it's, can, it's, you can, but the but it's just so tightly knit that it makes it it just simplifies it. I mean, yeah. and I'm not saying I'm a fan of Trump, but one thing him and Sanders did was was kind of waken they woke people up to realizing just how skewed this system is. That you don't mean the one thing those two shared was that they didn't speak like politicians. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's a good sign that things might change. I mean, again, I'm very, when it comes to the politics in the US, I'm very skeptical. But when you said that in a, a nation like South Africa, you have different political, a, a different interpretation of the politics. Yeah, I mean, there's a podcast I listened to, What Bitcoin Did with Peter McCormick, and he he is he calls himself a conservative but he's a british conservative and that's a totally different thing in great britain yeah as a no in, in yeah in the uk as opposed to the what the how conserve a conservative is perceived in the us and even that's a misconception because they assume that everybody who's conservative is a republican But uh, again, going back to the politics of Nolan's Oppenheimer, I don't know how that'll be received in terms of the multiple complexities of a figure like Oppenheimer. I mean, I'm glad it's Killian Murphy. That's going to be fascinating because I loved his, the show he was in Peaky Blinders. Yeah. No, he's, um, he's, uh, he's definitely a, a, um, a polarizing figure. So it should be interesting. And I think it's, 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 it makes sense right now because of everything that's going on, you know, with 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 the war and, you know, the nuclear deterrent question and, um, you know, should uh, should more countries have nuclear weapons or less countries have nuclear weapons? So, it, it's definitely a um, a film that that um, you know is topical right now. Oh, especially just the energy debate because. Yeah. I I mean I think climate change is real, but I don't think we should just all of a sudden switch to solar and wind because one that wouldn't be very effective and you can't just transition to that from the next day it would be very destructive. And even what I find terrifying about, about the climate movement is not just the extreme not just the rush but the extremism where they even reject the use of nuclear energy and that I mean you you can bet that if if Oppenheimer, how it's promoted, whether that those topics will definitely come into the conversation, because even the climate activists are against nuclear energy, despite it being cleaner than the ones they're protesting. Yeah, I mean, how, how, how does your um, energy mix work in the U.S.? 
do you guys use coal? Do you use nuclear? So you have a quite a, a mix of, of energy. We use fossil fuels, but there's been a climate movement trying to just transition to solar and wind. And yet, and there are just some sides that don't believe climate change is real. Some that believe the, we only have 12 years before it becomes irreversible and we're all dead. And I think both sides are extreme. I think there should be a discussion, but I think that be, they should be open to nuclear energy because if it's a cleaner alternative that we can transition out of fossil fuels, that, hey, let's have the conversation. But I don't think we should just get rid of fossil fuels like that because for one, there's a good percentage of the planet that doesn't even have access to decent energy. And much of society has been built on those on those uh, on fossil fuels that if you just eliminated that you'd be basically leading to mass death in a short amount of time so Mm -hmm. i think you should look at multiple perspectives but you shouldn't listen to some extreme activists because they're just if they're just operating from an emotional standpoint that can just lead to all sorts of things all sorts of forms of extremism and we were talking about group think earlier and that's what i'm worried about yeah. Now, look, um, there's very little time to to think amongst the noise. And I think, you know, especially with, with the way our media is designed, you're not given up, you know, you're not given the opportunity to think. You're kind of constantly presented opinion, you know, so uh, people are constantly, it's almost like these days with, with, with media, it's like people are constantly lobbying for their side or their opinion, you know. Um, and I think that's also now spreading to film, sadly. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's like you were saying with the, with the virtue signaling. Um, and I th- and I think it's it's virtue signaling is all it's it's ca- it's it's more prevalent now in, in in movies in mainstream cinema. But I think it's always been there. You know, um, you look at eighties film, even though you know people used to just mow each other down. But it's, you know, virtue signaling is a way to tell people you know everything's going to be okay. We're the good guys. I, I think it's always been there. In a sense, it's just now it's it's right in your face, you know. More aggressive, you mean? Yeah, it's it's you know it's it's there's a way more self gratification. People find a lot more self gratification with with virtue signaling. I find. Well, do you have you? um, There was the the intellectual Noam Chomsky said once that it takes a lot of courage for a person to admit they're a bastard. And that makes me, reminds me of a quote, no, a line from the movie, The Talented Mr. Ripley with Matt Damon, that no matter how horrible a person is, no matter how awful they are, they never think of themselves as bad people. And I mean, I think it's, I think that's just, I mean, nobody has the courage to express, to admit that they're bad. Yeah. But it's it's like we we're talking about earlier, you know, the the whole idea of the anti-hero, mm. and, and and that's ultimately what makes characters interesting, you know, characters that it's it's like uh, John Doe in, in Seven, you know, he actually thinks what he's doing is right, you know, from his point of view, and that's what makes characters richer, um, as opposed to you know mustache twirling villains, 
or even Brad Pitt's character from Seven, because yeah, he's young and he's got a good heart, but you easily learn over the course of the film. Not only does he have a violent temper, and he's and he has and he lacks in, and he has impulse control problems when it comes to his own sense of justice, but he's incredibly naive about the way of the world. Because uh, you remember that scene in Seven where him and Morgan Freeman are at the bar just talking about that where Morgan Freeman says, even if we catch John Doe, and he, I mean, on the likely, unlikely chance that he is Satan himself, she most likely isn't. What then? I mean, it's just going to go on and on because, and he says, we're talking, and Brad Pitt's character says, we're talking about someone who's mentally ill. No, we're not talking about people who are mentally ill. We're talking about everyday life. Because they live in a city that you don't know, but it's just a metaphor for the world because People are, I mean, take, for instance, the recent shooting in Uvalde. They think, yeah, it could be argued that it's mental health and that there has to be better gun laws. But at the end of the day, you know, there's a story behind that kid that is far more complex. That it's not just his environment. It's not just his upbringing. It's a multitude of things that led to that. And they'll never get at the heart of that. Just like how Brad Pitt's character will never get at the heart of any of the criminals they're going to arrest or tackle in a movie like seven and in an environment like that because, and Morgan Freeman even uses examples. It's easier to beat a child than it is to raise it. It's easier to cheat on your spouse than it is to be faithful, even when they don't have much faith in you. It's easier to indulge in drugs than it is to deal with reality. And he just basically shows that much of the bullshit they deal with is just a result of everyday life of, just life weighing down and breaking people out. And I feel that realism isn't addressed. I mean, you said in mainstream media, it's just snippets. Well, you can tell the truth and still lie in a way. I mean, you can still lie by telling the truth and you can do that by simplifying it. Hello? Can you hear me? I'm I'm sorry can you repeat that because you kind of broke up oh oh no I was saying um what you're talking about what you're talking about is being economical with the truth yeah obviously because as I mean I was I mean I think that as long as you make it easy for people to process they're just going to let the issue pass by and uh I actually one of the guys I interviewed earlier this week, he was telling me about the people in a month. I mean, people are in the beginning of the thing with Ukraine. People didn't know it was on a map and they didn't give a shit about it before. They were just made to get like conditioned psychologically for media manipulation to give a shit about it. And they'll stop giving a shit about it soon enough. And it already seems like that's happening. Only until the next bull, the next fiat, the next catastrophe, the next geopolitical conundrum. It'll just be a matter of time before people start virtue signaling again. I mean, I've always, one thing I've always hated is those people with the stickers that says, say, we remember 9-11. Yeah. It's just pure posturing. Why, why do you say that? <clears throat> I think it's posturing because it's to make themselves feel better, like they're doing some duty, but they're not really doing anything else. I mean, in most cases, I guess it's just like showcasing that I'm a great person. 
because uh, the person I spoke with about this, he says that people didn't know much about Ukraine, but within good time, they'll just forget about all the chaos. Yet there are people that are experiencing that more directly. Yeah, I mean, it's it, 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 it's what's next in the news cycle. You know, it's some, something else will take over the news cycle. That's right. And right now it's, it's this um, Roe versus Wade. So it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the cycle. It's, 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 it's dizzying almost when you think about everything that's coming at you. How do you deal? I mean, do you deal with any particular way or just tune out entirely? You know, I don't, I don't, you know, I kind of, I'm either working or, or I'm with my family. So, you know, I think you, you can kind of, you control the world you can, you know, I have my immediate world that I can control. I can't really, you know, change the world per se, but I, I could perhaps um, raise uh, responsible people who care and, you know, affect positive change in the world. Maybe that's what I, my contribution, maybe my films can create discussion, but I, I don't know, you know, besides that, I don't know, I don't have a caveman, you know. I think that's the same. That's definitely yeah. a saner way to approach it. For me, I just, I don't participate. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I do live in the real world, but I just, I watch it from the point of view of a spectator. I'm not on anybody's side. I'm just watching and seeing what happens because frankly, I think there's a line from an Oliver Stone film, Savages, where this character says, you don't change the world. You, the world changes you. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that you can't make choices in an individual, but you're acting mostly in response. That's it. And you, and you, I think you can change your immediate surroundings and hopefully that can create like a ripple effect, you know? Um, uh, but besides that, I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to go on manufactured rage because I think there's, there's a lot of manufactured rage right now going on in the world. Oh yeah. And it's you can it can be exhausting. It leaves it leaves little energy for for you know the day to day necessities. So I think it's I, I kind of I don't know. I, and also I think I process it through 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 my work. You know when I when I write when I write my scripts and and, and stuff like that. I think that's kind of my outlet. That's my 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 best way to deal with it. I don't think I'd be very good at as a political. Um, commentator who is i mean i doubt i doubt even the people in the mainstream press and my in, in the u.s here are very well versed politically they're just i mean can you honestly say that people like anderson cooper or half the people on msnbc are journalists they're figureheads for a corporate corporation with multiple shareholders and sponsors i mean i don't know i mean you said are you you're based in south africa right yeah Johannesburg. What is the media, what is the climate of media like there? Because I don't know much about South African media. So South Africa is like the, I think you can say it's the global South. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're kind of considered the, the gateway to Africa. Um, we are very diverse. I mean, there's 11 
official languages here. As I said, it's, it's a very broad society. Um, we have a lot of problems, but I think in general. Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, so I was saying because of our past, we, we had to, you know, deal with certain issues. So it's kind of like, I think in South Africa right now, each person has found their space to exist. Mm -hmm. We don't always agree, but you kind of have to just respect that the person has a different opinion to you and then you just go on with your life. They have a greater self-awareness. Um, so you I, I find that. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, Sorry, say again. No, no, I'm saying, um, yeah, I mean, we, we have, I find that, you know, in South Africa, it's, 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 it's more, I don't know, you, you can, I find like, the, and obviously I'm speaking from an outsider, you know, you, and then looking at the stuff you see, like you said, on, on, on mainstream American network media, it's like, I look at the stuff that's happening in the US compared to South Africa, it's almost like, it feels like you can kind of pinpoint what's going wrong in South Africa. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're so, breaking up again, you broke up again. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Hello? Hello? Are you good? Can you hear me now? Yeah, Hello? perfectly. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Cool. Um, so I don't know what's happening with the network. Um, yeah, I was saying that it, it, it feels like in South Africa, you can kind of, you know, the, the, I'd say the biggest difference is like in South Africa, it's there's like, you can pinpoint socioeconomic issues uh, in relation to crime, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas with the US, you can't really pinpoint what it is. You know, there's, there's this, and like I said, this is coming from what we see in mainstream media, but um, it's almost like you can't really pinpoint it. You know, what, what the discourse is, the social discourse. I don't know if I'm making sense. Oh, I think you're making perfect sense. I think with the U.S., there's just a lot of white noise, dis yeah. like configured in a way to distract and just like divulge from the current issues. I mean, most people, I mean, let, let's be honest, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Do you honestly give a shit about that? You don't. It shouldn't. It's a perfect distraction from issues like in the U.S., like massive inflation, massive violence, civil, uh, civil unrest. It's a good reason to ignore what's causing all this or why. I mean, yeah. no sensible person can believe that the war in Ukraine cre has created all the, the gasoline spikes. It accelerated it, obviously, but it was already bound to happen. But nobody believes that, yet they're trying to sell you that idea. But even yeah. that's starting to fade away. But again, in, with U.S. media, mainstream media, there's just a lot of civil... There's just a lot of white noise. And it seems like in Johannesburg, it's much more clear where people understand what is going on or they have a better way of learning what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I, my fear with, with, with the news cycle 
right? And that's why I said, you know, you had this Supreme Court ruling in the US and before that you had Ukraine. My fear with, with, with the new cycle is that it's, they, they're almost desensitizing us. Do you know what I mean? It's like, at a certain point you're like, oh yeah, shame, you know, 10,000 people died since the beginning of the years. And then you go on to the next thing. Oh yeah, you know, the, the people's rights are being taken away, whatever. And you go to the next thing. So at, I think that's the, the most alarming thing about the new cycle. It's like how, how, how desensitizing it is to most people. Cause you know, most people are like, they're, you know, they're attached to the cause for like a month and then the next month you have to, there's something else. So it's, you know, I think that's, that's what's sad about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, take, for instance, the riots back in 2020 with the George Floyd murder. Yeah, and it was a horrible murder. And it was a perfect example of police brutality. But to suggest he was a hero, that just doesn't make any sense. And I'm not saying he's a criminal. Yeah, he, and I think people do attack his, his criminal past too much because that was like a decade prior to it. But it was either one side or the other just saying that it was just admitting that what happened was tragic and the guy who who killed him should not have been a police officer and what instead is even there they made a scapegoat of him because you wonder what kind of police department had a guy with so many strikes still working yeah i mean that um yeah it's uh it's uh it was a very disturbing time to say the least in a uh, uh, society, were there any up? Were there any protests regarding that in South Africa? Because I know it took on a very global effect. Oh no, it was very global. I mean, it was it was it it was disturbing on so many levels. I mean, you you were you were witnessing a public execution. Mm, it, it was, I mean, it, it was medieval. You know, it was it was. You know, like go. It was. It was like what was. I think what was crazy for someone from the outside is like you look at the Western world, and the Western world condemns certain countries for like, you know, uh, public beheadings or human rights violations, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And when we do it. It's okay. Yeah, and and then you're seeing this, and it's and it's and, and you know, it's you understand that it's a bad apple as they say but you know it's like chris rock said if 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 you had as many bad apple, apples in you know delta airlines people would complain you know cuz planes would be going down so it's it's not okay to, to for to give someone that much power that is that mentally unstable or call it a rotten apple because yeah. he used the the idea of a cop last i checked if these cops killed somebody who was defenseless, you don't call them a rotten apple. It goes something like that. You call them a murderer. Yeah. And even, uh, do you ever, have you ever followed the work of Charles Bukowski, the writer? No, what, what, what is, what work, what, what is his work? It's very crass, very deprived, very cynical, but he once said, he told a story about, a, he was in a party and he was drunk. And so was the guy that was trying to talk to him. And the guy had a gun and, he basically told the guy, listen, buddy, if you're going to shoot me with that, you might as well do it now because I'm already, I've already got a death wish. And I got to tell you, you got a lot of balls. 
to do what you got to do. But let's face it, in this society, murder is illegal as opposed to a war zone. So you're not going to get a medal. You're going to end up in a prison cell. And I commend you for that, for taking the heat, because it's going to be quick for me. Yeah. And he basically just illustrated, he just illustrated some, I guess, some level of hypocrisy right there. I mean, who did, else did we use as an example just now? God, I, I can't believe I forgot. Who did we ref? Yeah, Chris Rock. Basically, they just pointed out some, they point out this hypocrisy within society that's tolerated on one end, but on another end, it's totally for, it's, well, it becomes intolerable. And that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, I'm just interested to hear what, because what, what do you, because the elections are coming up, what, what do you think is going to happen in the midterms? No, oh, I think the Republicans are going to take it. I mean, they're Democrats. So? Well, I mean, chances are we will have a recession at one point. I mean, as to when, that's hard to tell because if they're one thing, the Democrats are so cowardly that they will, they'll try and manipulate numbers in a way where, where it doesn't look like the economy will tank because the last thing they want to be is in the position the Republicans were in 2008 when the financial crisis happened. So who knows? But I think they're going to get slaughtered. As I said, I don't like either side. I think both they will play the same tricks against one against each other whenever they get the chance. And did you see that movie, the Ides of March? Yeah. With George Clooney. Yeah. The movie, I mean, obviously George Clooney is self-aware about this hypocrisy too. I mean, I, I don't understand how he's friends with Biden or, or Barack Obama, but then again, I don't know. I mean, when it comes to Obama, I don't know how to look at him because he didn't come, he came from nothing, but then again, maybe he became part of the establishment, like a lot of these figures you find inspiring in the beginning, but then again, they're selected in a sense. So at the end of the day, blaming one person in particular is absurd too, because it's a whole network of bullshit. Yeah, look, I mean, I think with Obama, it's just, uh, I always look at the person's intentions. I think his intentions were the best. Yeah, I think- I think the system, though, is just, uh, I don't care who you are, that system is good. You're going to have to bend to the system. Oh, yeah. Look at Bernie Sanders. I don't support his policies. And eventually, I don't support Bernie Sanders' policies anymore, but I know for a fact that he's the kind of guy that people want, that people with power want silenced. Mm -hmm. Same with someone like Trump. I mean, they just speak what they think. And they call bullshit on some things. And unfortunately, the establishment will silence them in whatever way they can until they're whipped up or they become irrelevant. It's like a personal attack. Like uh, take, for instance, Edward Snowden. He basically said, this is the trick they do. They don't make the story about the issue. They make the story about you. Once they do that, they can get away with anything. And that definitely leaves a lot of room for good storytelling. And who knows what kind of culture of cinema will emerge from that now that people are becoming more aware and less faithful about our institutions. Like, I think even the Batman movie, the recent one, was a perfect example about how there are just so many institutional failures on a structural level that there is no simple solution. And it's only going to get worse before it gets better. And even the Dark Knight films did that to a certain extent because 
At the end of the dark night, everybody cheered at what Batman did, telling a lie to hold society together. But at the end of the day, he behaved like an authoritarian, taking away people's decision ability to think to make their own judgment. And yet at the same time, you can't truly blame him because of the position he was in in that the end of that film. So just blaming the individual is for something so massive is very biased and it just simplifies a problem that can't be solved simple in a simple fashion. Yeah, look, it, it was it was definitely one of the more um, interesting films of, of recent memory. The Batman um, or The Dark Knight? The, the, the Batman. And who knows where it's going to go, especially when you have an entire city becoming, turning into a social Darwinist society because it basically shows at the end of the film, the National Guard is going to be coming in. People are going to be scrambling for whatever they can get. And I feel that's happening here too in the U.S. I mean, if gas prices keep rising up and food, I mean, I don't have a car, so I don't have to deal with that. But I watch just from what's going on, how it, what's going to happen, what's going to how long before just more civil unrest erupts. I mean, I don't buy expensive food, but there are a lot of families that do. And you don't know what's going to be the result of that because it's going to keep going up. I mean, how, how crazy are the food prices right now in the U.S.? Well, I don't buy meat, eggs, or milk because, one, I'm lactose intolerant. I'm not crazy about eggs, and I know already knew meat was expensive to start with even years ago. I eat very cheap, but I've seen that they've increased to a certain percentage. Even I look, I mean, I eventually have thought about one day getting a motorcycle and I look at the prices of motorcycles, they're not high, but yet when you see the car prices because of supply and demand, those go up significantly. I mean, I'm not an economics expert, but I've recently gotten into economics out of fascination to understand how it works. And I mean, and why do you, I mean, that you see that's why people are getting into something like Bitcoin, because that can be the best defense against inflation. Because it operates the way money real, because most people don't even understand how money works. I mean, I know. No, I mean, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I'm, 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 it's because I know it's, 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 uh, of what I've seen on the news that it's, it's getting quite uh, crazy right now, the inflation in the U S Oh yeah. I mean, I, I know that I've, I think I followed something that there's a culture of Bitcoin in South Africa or maybe, or maybe it's Central Africa. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, South Africa, it's people dabble in it, but it's not, no, it's not, it's not, um, it's not as big. It's not, it's not as popular. Would you mind if I sent you some links to it? Because I think it's important that people know about this because I think, as a form of technology, it's very essential because it's not, to me, it's not just a good inflation hedge, but it's yeah. just, it operates the way money used to before we got off the gold standard. And most people even don't know why we got off it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's known here, but it's it's known amongst, you know, more the business class. It's not, it's not, it's not a, a common man's tool, you know? It's not an every man's tool. It's yeah, not what? like what they're doing in, I think it's Ecuador. Is it Ecuador? No, El Salvador. El Salvador. It's not, it's not, as, it's not as popular as it, as it is there. 
I feel very that, risky. I feel it will be over time, especially in for in in developing countries where the inflation rate for their currency increases significantly. Yeah. Maybe I mean, it's, oh, go yeah. No, go ahead. No, I'm saying right now it's we're we're not feeling it as much because South Africa is very uh we 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 have we're very strong in food food security. Hmm. Um. So right now, I, I think in terms of food, obviously I, I speak from a privileged um, position, but I think in terms of food, we're not there yet. We don't, we don't have a we don't have a food crisis. We don't have an energy crisis. Thank God. Um, but yeah, you're definitely feeling it. I mean, you're, you're definitely feeling it in terms of um, at the pump. You know, gas is no joke. What is the gas price there in South Africa? Oh man, um, I'm trying to convert it in your current into the dollar. What is what is it now in the the dollar? Well, it uh, depends on the state you're in. Here in the in Florida, it's more between like below five dollars. I mean, in some regions it was at five, but then it went down a little. It's like four dollars and seventy cents or something like that. In California, I heard it's like between seven and eight. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's 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 probably in terms of dollars. So we go per liter. I'd say per liter. You're looking at wow. I don't know, but yeah, but eight ten. Jesus fuck. That goes yeah. to show you. I mean, that affects it the supply and demand, but. Yeah, at the end, I mean, later after this interview, you mind if I just send you some links? Because I feel that even with signing up, you get rewarded in the Bitcoin. Yeah. And just, I think it's important about educate people educate themselves because it's not just like a, a form of technology because they've even, it, it leaves a lot of room for technology to expand, especially with something called the Lightning Network, which is like a payment system that's, op, that's integrating with Visa and MasterCard, which is rather fascinating. Yeah, but uh, oh, yeah. But I'm I'm gonna have to, um, jet off soon. Oh yeah, don't worry. If you have to go, that's I'm I'm very glad you were able to give me the time you've given me so far, and I I'm, I'll definitely send you the the record the the episode for this interview, and I'm just letting you know ahead of time I will include the mini interruptions we had with the the audio because I want it to be as authentic as possible, but. I'll send it to you once I finish it and editing it. And uh, I, I'm glad that you were able to give me the time. But thank, thank you again, Jerome. No, 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 thank you. Thank you for, for, for having me. But I want to ask you before you go, uh, where can people find you to learn more about you, your work, your, fi- <laughs> your feature film in addition to Amazon? I mean, there, I mean, if you want to send me some links via the chat, I can add them to the description of the episode. I think I think that'd be best. I mean, uh, I'm not I'm not really on the socials, you know. Um, I'm not really a, a social network kind of guy. You have LinkedIn. Uh, oh, sorry, would your LinkedIn be okay? Yeah, LinkedIn be a, cool. Do you have a website where people can learn more about your your work in film? Um, I can send you I can send you a link for for some of my work. Okay, well, I'll include them in the description, that's for sure.
And what's the name of your feature film again? That way people can know about it. Uh, the Tokolosh. Okay, the Tokolosh. Yeah. Thank you again, Jerome. I'm, I really appreciate the time. If you ever want to be on the podcast again, let me know. And uh, best of luck of you, to you in your journey as a filmmaker. No, no, thank you. Thank you so much. And then all the best with the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. But I owe a lot to you because I love the discussion we had. And that's all I really want to do is just discuss film and a multitude of topics that I think are relevant to the culture of cinema and why and what's missing nowadays. But again, thank you. And uh, I guess till the next time we speak. All the best. Thank you. You're welcome. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.